Hey, podcast listener. Are you working so hard you wonder if the money is even worth it? If you're like most CPAs I work with, you have way too much to do, you feel relentless deadline pressure, and worst of all, you feel torn between serving clients and being with family. What if I told you you could work a 40-hour week without losing a dime? I know it sounds impossible, but my Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is designed for CPAs just like you who want to get their lives back. Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is launching soon. In it, you'll learn how to start getting your time back week by week, make your workload manageable while still bringing in plenty of revenue, what to put in your packages and how to price them, and so much more. Don't leave your future to chance. CPA Mastermind will get you on the same profitable path you've been searching for. With unlimited coaching, your success is guaranteed. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there. Welcome to the Business Strategy for CPAs podcast, where I help you work less and make more. My name is Geraldine Carter. Today, I have an episode for you on pricing for improved profitability. You hear me talk a lot about pricing on this podcast. I've done multiple episodes about it, and, in, and I've interviewed multiple pricing people on this podcast. This episode is a summation of everything that I've taken in over the years on pricing and how I've effectively used it for great results for my clients. If you like all this information contained in one and you want to get a CPE credit for it, you can head over to the Earmark CPE podcast hosted by Blake Oliver and listen to this episode over there, take the short quiz and get your one CPE credit. So why use price to improve profitability? Number one, you can stop overcompensating for lost earnings by working more hours. Number two, you create a higher value product. Number three, you attract and work with better, higher paying clients. And a lot of CPAs and accountants are looking for higher paying clients. In case we haven't met each other yet, or you haven't come across my name or my podcast, again, I'm Geraldine Carter, and I'm the host of the Business Strategy for CPAs podcast, where I talk about how to work less and make more and help accountants and CPAs, particularly those at the $1 million range or at the $500,000 range, and including those who are just starting out going from W-2 to hanging their own shingle with business strategy and pricing tips and positioning tips so that they can run a higher profit margin firm so that they can work fewer hours for the same amount of revenue and get off the tax hamster wheel where so many accountants and CPAs are working super hard, long hours, 60, 70 hour work weeks, and they feel like all they can do is just run faster and faster and faster and they don't see the way out. That's not what we want for you. We want for you to have a high margin firm where you work 30, 40 hours a week. You design it the way that you like. You work with the clients that you enjoy working with. You find the work fulfilling and it's high margin and the work is relatively simple and easy. We can simplify your business when we design it with simplicity and high profit margins in mind. And this happens when we start from the place of value. More on that later. So, Back to the topic at hand for today, why use price to improve profitability. I mentioned a few reasons there at the top. Here are a couple more. Your business gets easier to run when you use price as a strategy to improve your profitability. 
You feel better about the work that you do for your clients. You enjoy your firm more. You increase your revenue. Pricing is a series of tools, a set of tools. You can think of it just like the giant toolbox that might exist in your garage with all kinds of shelves and drawers. There are lots of tools in there, but you don't have to have all those tools, nor do you need to know what each of those pricing tools does or how it works or how to use them. I've spent a lot of time studying pricing and pricing tools and simplified what works best for accountants and CPAs in particular at the half a million to $1 million mark in terms of just getting out of the a la carte fixed price method, which is common, or the hourly billing method, which is also quite common. Part of figuring out your pricing is also getting your packages together with your prices on the right track so that you can stop having a million underpaying clients and you can get your time back. Here's where I wanna start this idea that it is good for my clients when I charge them more. sounds like a bit of a record scratch. It grabs your attention. It's good for my clients when I charge them more. I'm going to give you six reasons why it's good for your clients when you charge them more. But before I do that, I want to just switch it up and say it's good for my clients when my prices are higher because charging them more comes with the implication that you're charging them after the fact, after They've asked you to do some work and you're sending them the bill and you're charging them for the work that you've done. And that's a mentality that I help people get out of and we get into pricing in advance up front. So take this quote, it's good for my clients when I charge them more, I'll give you six reasons, but it's good for my, and think of it this way, it's good for my clients when my prices are higher. So the first reason is that higher prices lead to deeper client engagement. Your clients, when they're paying a lot more and they're They know they're paying more up front. They make a choice whether or not to work with you. And when you have higher prices and it's relatively more expensive for them, they sit up and they take notice. They think this is expensive. Therefore, it's important to me. Therefore, I'm going to show up prepared to my meetings. I'm going to get my stuff to my accountant on time and I'm going to be more engaged. And because I'm paying a lot of money, I am going to get my stuff done and I'm going to get the most out of this possible investment in terms of the money that I'm paying to my accountant or CPA. When they are more engaged, they get better results because they've shown up prepared and they do their homework. This is the second reason. When you price your services higher, you know that your clients expect it to be better. And because you know they expect it to be better, you make it better because you know you're on the hook for better service. So when you set your prices higher, just beyond your comfort zone, you think to yourself, I better get on my giddy up and make this really good because clients are expecting it. So you make your service better. It's good for your clients to have a better service. It's good for your clients when you raise your prices. The third reason that it's good for your clients to raise your prices is that their perception of your value or or of the value of your services, excuse me, is that expensive products and services have greater perceived value, meaning they perceive your service to have greater value. And their perception is their reality. If they think it has value, it has value to them. If they don't think it has value, it doesn't have value to them. Their perception is their reality when it comes to the value of your services. When you push your price higher, they think this is a high price, or this is expensive, or this is a big investment, this must be good. And if you don't believe me, I'll tell you a quick story of the inverse. 
And if you've been listening to my podcast, you may have heard me tell the story of the one time I was riding my bike in China. I had two little panniers. I was packed for summer temperatures and I hit a cold snap. So I went into the store looking for some sweatpants and found a pair. They were warm and fuzzy and soft and they fit and they were Adidas brand and they looked great. And I was like, these are perfect. I'm going to buy them. And then something happened. And that is that I looked at the price tag and they were 80 cents. And I thought, what's wrong with these sweatpants? So I did what any rational person would do, put the sweatpants back on the rack and me and my goosebumps walked out of the store without the sweatpants. Despite the fact that they were exactly what I was looking for, because they were priced low, my thought was, what's wrong with these sweatpants? They must be problematic somehow. They're not good enough. I'm not buying them. There is a high likelihood that there are people who are looking for the kinds of services, outcome results that you can deliver, and your prices are too low, and they're thinking, they're not expensive enough, their prices aren't high enough, they must not be very good. They have an expectation of what they're looking to pay. And if your prices are too low relative to what they are expecting to pay, they may keep walking right on by your storefront. It is good for your clients when you raise your prices. We're at number four here, three more reasons. You attract clients who know how to be successful. You attract clients who know how to be successful because they can afford to work with you. It's, it may be, it likely is because they've had success elsewhere in their life. They are predisposed to success. They know how to be successful. When your prices are higher, you weed out the clients, the potential clients who have less knowledge about how to be successful which leads right into number five, which is clients who pay more tend to be less needy. Clients who pay more are likely already successful or have higher levels of success. They have more money than they have time and they're looking to you for quick help, quick answers so that they can keep moving. They don't burn your time with foundation, basic level questions and other kinds of minutia neediness where your time is simply much better spent. Number six, last one here, higher prices enable you to reduce your client load and your workload. When you set your prices higher for the very same package, so if you take your package and you double the price or triple the price, which is not uncommon when I work with my clients, their prices go way, way up, especially if they haven't raised their prices in years. Factor of two, factor of three is not uncommon. When you raise your prices, it enables you to reduce your client load because you don't have to have as many clients to meet that revenue. You reduce your client load, you reduce your workload, and that frees up your time. And when you free up your time, it sets you on a virtuous cycle to find and create more value for your existing clients, to improve your systems in the back end of your business, to improve the systems in the front end of your business before clients become clients. When they they go from being prospects to becoming clients, you can improve your onboarding system. You improve your ability to delegate to your team because you're not so wrapped up in just kind of clearing off your desk. You actually have time to think, how can I delegate this to somebody? Who can I delegate this to? And once you have ample time, you can also, of course, focus on the steps in the system that can be automated. That gets you more time back and you keep going up and up and up on this virtuous cycle. It is good for your clients when you raise your prices. 
All right, let's take a minute to talk about what's so bad about Hourly, just in case there's still vestiges of Hourly hanging around in your business and you kind of haven't been able to work out those kinks yet. So let me see if I can make a convincing argument. Here are five reasons. I could think of 75 more if I needed to. The first one is that it incentivizes slowness. When you bill by the hour, you have an incentive for things to take longer. You may not actively think, let me see how I can slow this down, but you may find that your curiosity wanders. You may find that you chase down a few extra dead ends. You may find that you don't invest in doing your work faster. It simply incentivizes the slowness. You get paid more when you take longer to do the very same job. That is not good for your client. It puts you at odds with your client, which may be the reason that you, if you send out an invoice and they didn't have a price in advance and they call you up and they say, can you explain this bill to me? That's a symptom that hourly billing is not good for your client. And it's also bad for you because now you're burning time explaining an invoice. A second reason hourly billing is so bad is the clients prefer that things get done quickly. If they had the choice between an answer that takes you a half an hour to explain versus an answer that takes 15 minutes to explain versus an answer that can be done in two sentences, they're going to prefer the one that gets done in two sentences. But you're incentivized to take longer to give them an answer because you make more. Number three is that there's no clear price for your buyer. Your buyer deserves to have a clear price. They're making a buying decision. It's fair to them to have a clear price upfront before they make the buying decision. Just imagine yourself going into a grocery store and there are no prices on anything in the grocery store, which might be fine if you're in the tomatoes and the dairy section, but imagine wandering into the wine section where your knowledge of, let's just say, French wine from Bordeaux may be murky. And you throw a Margot in your basket and three weeks later, After you've enjoyed the bottle of red, you get your credit card bill and it has a $3,000 charge on there for your bottle of wine. And you think, what? That's not cool. I had no idea that this bottle of wine was going to run me three grand. If I had known, I would have bought the two buck chuck. Your buyer deserves a price so they can make a buying decision. Not having a price billing hourly, for them, feels like gotcha. They have no idea. It's not up to your buyer to be educated on how long things take you in your accounting firm to get it done. They don't know. It's unfair to put the expectation upon them that they should have some idea of how long it's going to take them and back into some kind of invoice or price or cost to them. All right, number four, if you're not convinced yet, your revenue is limited by the amount of time you can work. There are only so many hours that you can work in a year, multiply that by your hourly rate, and that is your salary cap. There is simply no way to make more than that when you're billing exclusively by the hour. By contrast, when you price in advance and you focus on creating value, then the sky is the limit and you can go to outer space with the amount of revenue that you can create because it's no longer pinned or hinged to the amount of time that you work. Number five is that there is a lack of agreement on outcomes. So your incentive when your client comes along and says, hey, can you do this, that, or the other for me? You say, yes, you get started working, you do what they ask, you send them the bill, and it doesn't get them, the work that you've done doesn't get them the outcome that they were hoping for. 
same kind of deal. It's unfair to expect your buyers to understand how to connect the dots of how do accounting services lead to the outcomes that I'm looking for, unless you have sophisticated buyers, but for your everyday business owning clients, they probably won't be able to connect those dots. So they may be asking you for things, but they don't really know why they're asking for what they're asking. And if you don't spend the time to agree on the outcome that they desire, and you set to work doing the work, thinking that they just want the work done and then you, and then you send them the bill, but they don't have the outcome and now they've spent money and they haven't received the outcome they were hoping for, now they're upset. And then they call you and they're frustrated and you think, I did the work, what's the problem here? But they're thinking, I spent all this money and I didn't really get what I wanted because we never agreed on the desired outcome at the outset. So those are just five reasons that hourly is so bad for your clients and it's bad for you. And when you see just how much more revenue you can make more easily when you focus on creating value for your client in the form of, let's say, improved profitability, improved margins, increased wealth, getting their time back, helping them simplify and reduce errors in their accounting systems, that's all value creation. And when your prices are based off of value creation, then, like I said, the sky's the limit. You can make as much money as your imagination allows you to create because your focus now is on increasing value for your buyer rather than getting the work done. So I mentioned some symptoms of hourly billing. I'll throw in a few more here just in case. Um, they seem so normal in the accounting space because a lot of accountants experience these same things. They think that this is just the way it is. This is what happens in the accounting space. There's nothing we can do about it. It's just part and parcel of being an accountant. Working long hours doesn't have to be a symptom of hourly billing. But if you're working long hours, oftentimes hourly billing is the explanation. Clients who complain about their bills, right? They get an unexpected bill from you. The amount was unexpected. They call you to ask for justification. You thinking, I want to make more money, but I can't find the time. And you feeling some sense of pressure, stress, or overwhelm because there's so much work to be done because the way to make money is to do the work and doing the work takes time. Therefore, you always say yes to the work. And when you say yes, 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 yes to the work because it's the work in your perception that brings in the money, there's this never ending pile of work that seems impossible to get out from underneath. So if you feel that sense of stress, pressure, overwhelm, always backed up against deadlines, that could be due to hourly billing. So where do you go from here? How do you take so far what I've talked about and implement it into your business? I'll get to specific pricing tactics in a moment, but we can't talk about pricing in the absence of talking about value. It is value, like I said, value, creation that helps you increase your prices. And I get that value is a nebulous concept. So I explain it like this. Time is a nebulous concept. Time simply exists in our minds. We all agree on how we measure it. How we measure it, how you measure it is with the watch on your wrist. But it isn't the watch on your wrist that creates time. The watch on your wrist is not time. It is simply the thing that measures time. Similarly, value is an abstract concept, and the way that we measure it and capture it is with pricing. 
Pricing is not the value. Pricing is just the tool that you use to measure the value. More specifically, value is the most a single person will pay for the thing, which means that value is always determined by a single buyer. It is in their eyes, value is in the eye of the beholder, and it is entirely subjective. Your buyer gets to determine the value of a thing to them. It is not up to you, the accountant, to decide upon the value to your buyer. They get to decide whether or not the value is there to them. Now, you can do a number of things to increase their perception of the value. But at the end of the day, they decide on the value, not you. Another piece in here is that you want your prices to be in between your cost to deliver and the value to your buyer. When you set it up this way and you put your price in between their value and your cost, then your profit is your price minus your cost, obviously, but your buyer's profit is their value minus your price. And when you imagine creating a lot of profit for your buyer by creating a lot of value, pushing the value way, way, way out to the right on the number line, and then having your price on the number line less than the value, the more distance you can put between your price and their value, the more profitable your service is to them. And the more profitable your service is to them, the easier it becomes for them to say yes to working with you. Of course, focus on your own profitability. I'm not saying squish your price right next to your cost. This is why I help my clients push the value as far as we can out to the right because it gives more daylight between value and cost for you to place your price in between the two, allowing you to create a situation where your price minus your cost is high profit and their value minus your price is high profit for them. And when you can create a situation where it's high profit for you, the seller, and it's high profit for them, the buyer, now you have a wonderful win-win situation where you love selling because it's nicely profitable for you and they love buying because it's nicely profitable for them. This requires creating value and pushing that value creation as far out to the right as we can. So we can't have a pricing webinar without talking about value pricing. There are different definitions of value pricing, and I hear people conflate the two. And I think for you, the accountant, the CPA, when there are pricing people out there talking about value pricing in a couple of different ways, it makes it messy and difficult to understand. So I want to separate two different ways of thinking about value pricing just to help clear it up. And I also know that your zone of genius doesn't need to be in value pricing and in pricing at all. Really, your zone of genius is over here in tax and accounting and creating value for your client. That's where your focus is best used, not in understanding the sort of semantics and splitting hairs of value pricing. But nonetheless, let's take a moment to clarify value pricing and the two ways that it gets talked about. So I come from the Jonathan Stark School of Pricing. There are other wonderful pricing experts out there talking about pricing. I don't have a right or wrong about how to define value pricing, but the two ways that I hear it talked about are number one, for one-time discrete projects 
with a clear beginning, middle, and end. And it is worth at least 50k to your buyer and at least 10k to you. Thinking of it this way is helpful to think about value pricing as the most a single person will pay. If we go off of the definition as value being the most a single person will pay, then it makes sense to think about one buyer at a time and establishing the value of a certain project to a single person at a single time. Where it gets muddy is when people say, value is the most a person will pay in the singular form, and then they go on to talk about many people, plural form. And they say, you wanna set your prices, you wanna value price across multiple clients. But if you have multiple clients, they're all gonna value your thing differently by definition when it's defined as the most a single person will pay. If you have 100 clients, and you're trying to establish the value to 100 clients who all value the same thing differently, how can you possibly establish a value price? So when you have 100 clients and you're trying to price based on value, you can still push off of value and come down to establish your price, but you're establishing a flat rate price. And there are some people who will say that flat rate is cost plus, Flat rate can be cost plus, but it doesn't have to be. Flat rate can also be cost minus. That's a loss leader. So when pricing for multiple people at once, flat rate makes a lot more sense because it's scalable. Value pricing, as in having a one-time discrete project with a distinct beginning, middle, and end, in order to do this very well, requires having what's called a value conversation, which includes these questions, why me, why now, why in this manner? And most accountants that I work with and most CPAs who I work with do not use value pricing in this form because understanding and getting good at the value pricing conversation is a skill set unto itself. And for most CPAs, unless they're doing project work, this is not the highest and best use of their time. They have multiple dozens, hundreds, sometimes thousands of clients, that, and they're trying to systematize, in which case flat rate pricing is much easier. Yes, you will leave profit on the table, but it's scalable. If you want to maximize profit when it comes to pricing, value pricing for a single person, one at a time, is the way to go, but it's not scalable. Airplane tickets are flat rates. They are prices that you decide in advance. Imagine Delta having a value pricing conversation with each one of its passengers. It's not scalable. So coming back from that, flat rate pricing is scalable and hinge off of value to determine your prices rather than hinging off of cost to determine your prices. All right, let's talk about what is valuable to your clients. What are the things that are most valuable to your clients? The things that you can sell include services, deliverables, experience, and transformation. What do you imagine are the most valuable to your clients? Most clients value transformation and experience more highly than they will value services and deliverables. Yet many accountants and CPAs are selling mostly services and deliverables, and they're missing out on the value that can be created if they were to focus on the transformation that is desired by the client and the experience that is desired by the client. 
So let me tell you a quick story just to take transformation and experience out of the nebulous clouds and put it on the ground to make it feel real. You may remember, take a right-hand turn in your memory and go 200 years back, that Lewis and Clark were charged with walking across the U.S. to map it out and get all the way to the Pacific, find the overland route to the Pacific. They started in St. Louis, they went up the Yellowstone, and eventually they were in Salmon, Idaho, where five valleys converge. They had plenty of options. They weren't sure which was the best way to go. These are expensive decisions. You go the wrong way, you're going to get stuck in the Frank Church wilderness of no return. A woman named Sacagawea shows up on the scene and she says, hey, I heard you guys wanted to go to the Pacific. They say, yeah, can you help us get there? Do you know the way? She says, in fact, not only can I help you get there, I can also help you choose which experience you want. Do you want the long flat route? If so, we'll go south. We'll head to the snake. We'll take that downstream. That eventually dumps into the Columbia, and then it's a straight shot to the Pacific. It's long, but it's flat. Or we can go over Lolo Pass and Lost Trail Pass. It's fewer steps, but it's more mountainous. It's more rugged. It's harder. Which experience do you want? So the transformation that they get is going from turned around and lost in Salmon, Idaho, to the Pacific, which is where they ultimately want to go. And they get to choose the experience, one of which is flat and long, the other of which is shorter but more mountainous. What kind of experience do you want? Your clients are looking for transformation. Your clients are looking for a high-quality experience. Perhaps not all of your clients are looking for transformation. But surely you do have business-owning clients or clients who own real estate who are looking to grow. You may have business-owning clients who are looking to go from 5 million to 50. You may have business-owning clients who want to go from 500,000 to 750,000 over the next 18 months. You may have real estate-owning clients who own commercial property and they want to buy up a few more. You may have real estate-owning clients who just acquired their first property They have one door, they want to get to four doors, eventually they'd like to have a quadplex. You have clients in your roster who are on the hunt for transformation. You may have some clients on your roster who are just fine where they are, thank you very much. There's less value that can be created there if they're not seeking transformation. On the high quality experience side, there are loads of ways that you can create what I like to call effortless value. This comes back to believing that Money comes from work. Money comes from effort. Money comes from having put my time in. I did the work, therefore I should get paid. I spent all this time on this project, therefore I should get paid. But money comes from value. Money comes from value that you capture with your pricing. So to the extent that you can think about the ways that you can create value that don't require much, if any, effort on your part, you can create effortless value and then you get paid without having to work so hard. So not all value that you create will be utterly effortless. Some of it will take some effort, but not the same amount of effort that is like the month-end close that you do month after month after month after month, or the chasing down of the random expenses on the credit card that didn't fall neatly into QuickBook categories or accounts. You have to email your client to track down, what's this purchase on Amazon? Is office supplies or books? 
the stuff that you have to do over and over, the the automations that don't quite sync up and you've got to get the in there and manually finagle them to get them to work or the errors and the predictable bugs that happen every single month that you've got to do over and over and over again every single month in order to create the product or the P&L or the balance sheet. I want you to let your mind rest on the question, how can I create value for my clients without having to do that much extra work? And the places to look are in the onboarding experience, for example. How can you improve the onboard experience? How can you reduce the hassle factor of the onboard experience? How can you make it super easy for them? Can you avoid them having to send you things in duplicate, triplicate, multiple times because multiple different parties at your firm need it? How many times do they have to enter their name, their address, their street address, their PO box, their shipping address, their bank account info, their routing, all that stuff that they have to do in the onboarding experience that is a hassle for them. It's just tedium. It takes away from them doing what they need to do in their business. How can you reduce that stuff and make it super simple for them? How can you clarify the onboarding experience for them so that they know that they've gotten you everything that they need, they've checked off their list, and they can keep on going? And how can you create quick wins for them early on? Many people will say that you have 90 days at the very beginning of your relationship with your client to establish the nature of the relationship. To the extent that you can create quick wins early on, your client sits up and takes notice and think, thinks, oh my gosh, I'm so glad that I signed up to work with this accountant. I'm so glad I'm here. This was a great decision. Already, this is so valuable. I'm already so glad I did this. And when they think that, they're going to be more engaged for the lifetime of the relationship because you've set the tone early on. You can also find ways to be more proactive instead of waiting to be reactive You can improve the timing of your communication, meaning how long does it take for you to provide an answer? If you're going to provide an answer one way or another, the answer that comes in three weeks is less valuable than the answer that comes within one week, which is less valuable that comes in three days, which is less valuable than the answer that comes at the end of the day. And if you're going to answer the question either way, you may as well provide the answer that is the most valuable to your buyer. It's no extra effort on your part. It just takes reducing your client loads so that you have time to get back to your clients by the end of the day, which I get in the accounting space is not terribly common because of the workload, which goes back to hourly billing. You can also improve the clarity of your communication. So if you have instances where you're playing email tennis with your client, how many emails go back and forth? How can you improve the clarity of your communication so that your client gets their question answered or you get your question answered in one exchange of email or it's a phone call? How can you improve the clarity of your communication? How can you improve the likelihood of achievement or success or specific results? And this goes back to making your product or service better so that your clients get better results? How can you increase the speed of the results that your clients get, right? How can you improve their profit margins as fast as possible or help them improve their profit margins as fast as possible? How can you help them improve their revenue as fast as possible? How can you increase the ease with which your clients can reach you? All these are ways that you can consider as options, opportunities to create value without that much extra ongoing month after month effort or time. So let's get into some nitty gritty on pricing curves. This is where the rubber meets the road. 
Now, there are all kinds of pricing tools, like I said at the top, that you can have in your pricing tool bucket. But the one that I use most commonly is what's called tiered pricing or menu pricing, as in bronze, silver, gold. I like this one because it's simple to understand. It's simple to implement. You don't have to know a ton of pricing theory. This one is usable out of the box, if you will. I also like it because it gives your clients a choice and your buyers, your clients, like to be able to make a choice. A choice of one is take it or leave it. A choice of two sets up right or wrong. A choice of four is too many choices and now they're overwhelmed with options. Three is the sweet spot, bronze, silver, gold. I also like it because in designing your packages and products, if you're not quite sure where they land, you can create another column in your Excel spreadsheet when you get started designing your packages and services. You can create another column out to the right and call it platinum. And you may eventually get there where you offer your platinum service and you drop your bronze off the bottom and now your bronze, silver, gold gets shifted one to the right. Or if you're if you have an idea for a super stripped down service, you can call it nickel and put it in the column on the left. And that way you can spread out your options for a single buyer type and begin creating bronze, silver, gold with a theoretical nickel underneath and a theoretical platinum at the top just to kind of help you separate your thinking. It's the same thing as good, better, best. I find that in talking about it, people get a little bit unclear wound around the axle is which one is better than is the better one better than better is the best which one and it's just not as clear. So I call it bronze, silver, gold, same thing. There are two ways that you can spread out your prices in bronze, silver, gold. I mean, really, there are infinite ways, but that doesn't help you. I want to give you some kind of formula that you can start with because as an accountant, as a CPA, you're a linear thinker, you like formulas, you want things to fit in nice, neat boxes. Two plus two is always four. It's never five. I get it. I'm an engineer. I can think the same way too. I understand things better when they're in formulas. And from one numbers loving person to another, it's difficult to get your head around this, but pricing is more of an art than a science. But I know that you need some science to get started. So let me give you the starting point. And then after you do it and you get used to how it feels, then you'll get better with the art part. So might as well pricing is colloquially called might as well because the buyer thinks, well, if I'm going to buy bronze, I might as well buy silver. And if I'm going to buy silver, I might as well buy gold. And the spread, the algebra for the spread is 1x, 1.5x, 1.75x. So for the math, if your base price for a thing is 10,000, your silver one is 15,000, your goal is, gold is 17,500. So then you do the algebra to make it relative to the thing that you're selling. If you need to double it, it would be 20,000, 30,000, 35,000. But then, yes, you finagle the price. Because if it looks too formulaic, the risk is that your buyers will question how you arrived at your price, and you don't want them doing that. So you can finagle it a little bit to simply make it look like these are the prices, 21,000, 30,250, 34,950. Yes, all pricing is arbitrary. They are numbers that are determined. You may get there by a formula if you like, but at the end of the day, they are still choices. And you can base the choices on logic, but the logic that you choose is still arbitrary. Right? There's, all, there's infinite logic that you can use to create your prices. And whichever logic you decide on 
It's the one that works for you. The real answer for whether or not your prices work in air quotes or whether or not they are the right price is by testing them in the marketplace. The marketplace will tell you what it thinks about your prices. It is up to you to test your prices in the marketplace. This is, this is the most difficult part for my clients going from the blackboard, the spreadsheet, to the real world and having to have a conversation where your palms kind of sweat and you put the price out because it's twice as high as anything you ever would imagine your clients would go for and you wait for their answer. Your second option is the Goldilocks option, and you might remember that Goldilocks likes everything in the middle. So the algebra for this one is 1x, 2.2x, and 5x. So the math is 10,000, 22,000, 50,000. I'm not suggesting that these would be your prices for anything. It's just the math to show you how it works. You would then make it relative. So say you're selling a $5,000 package for the bronze, then you've got 12,000 and then 25,000 just to show you how the math works. And then you finagle it to make it look like it's not derived from a formula and you make it 5,100, 11,900, 24,500, just so that your clients don't question the formula that you use to arrive at the price. This has the effect of driving your buyer to the silver option because the gold option is a far stretch. Bronze, silver, gold is a great starting point for many of the accountants who I work with to help them move from a la carte pricing or hourly billing into a much simpler pricing framework, and it helps them simplify their business. But the trick is that your bronze, silver, gold is for one buyer type. So if you have 400 clients and they're all different, that leads you to potentially create 400 bronze, silver, gold tiers of pricing, which you don't want to do, which is why it makes working inside an industry, inside a niche so much easier because you have fewer buyer types that you need to manage and fewer pricing frameworks that you need to create. In a perfect world, you would simply have one bronze, silver, gold that applies for all of your clients because they're all inside one niche. And then your pricing is really simple. Now, in addition to bronze, silver, gold for ongoing services, what works well for the accountants and CPAs who I work with is one-time products, meaning a one-time strategy session that lasts maybe an hour or 90 minutes and a deeper dive kind of VIP day that might be a four or six hour thing where you dig in on a project and you both focus for the day and they make meaningful progress in getting that project completed and checked off their list. A single strategy session is typically a three-figure engagement, call it 495 or 295 or 795, depending on your confidence in your ability to create that amount of value in that meeting. And similarly for the VIP day or the deeper dive session, that's more like a four-figure engagement. I've seen prices vary from 2,500 to 4,500 and up from there for a more involved kind of let's sit down together and hash this out and lay out a plan kind of session. Okay, I want to wrap up here with a story about untapped value. And that is the exit row seat. Recently, I took a long flight. And when I checked in, I was offered the option to pay $89 for an exit row seat. And I thought, oh, these things used to be free. Isn't that interesting that now they're charging $89? It was a five hour flight. I took it. And as I sat there looking at all the exit row seats that were occupied, I thought about how much money that was. 
And if you just take, for example, let's make some round number assumptions that Delta only flies 737s and this is true, there are 12 exit row seats on a 737 and Google says that there are 400, sorry, 4,400 flights a day. If you do the math on that, 89 bucks times 12 seats times 4,400 flights per day, that's four and a half million dollars of new revenue per day. If you spread that out over the year, multiply by 365, $1.7 billion of new revenue that was created from value that already existed, but Delta was not tapping it until they decided to charge for exit receipts. So you would hope that the pricing staff, the pricing team at Delta got a raise that day because they created $1.7 billion new dollars of previously untapped revenue without having to do more work. They simply discovered the value and found a way to price to capture the value. So the question becomes, where are the exit row seats in your accounting firm? They're probably not in basic tax prep. They're probably not in mid-level tax prep. There's almost certainly cash flow and forecasting value that can be tapped and can be priced to be captured with your business owning clients and your real estate owning investing clients who want transformation and a high quality experience. There's almost certainly untapped value in creating high level plans, business plans, business strategy, tax plans without becoming necessarily an ongoing client. Strategy work is so much more valuable than implementation work. Where are the exit row seats in your business? So I'll end here with how to raise your prices because so many CPAs are having this question, especially at the end of the year, how do I raise my prices? There are lots of ways to raise your prices. Most of them I don't recommend. If you want to know all the ways to raise your prices, I have a simple PDF on my website that you can get at geraldinecarter.com forward slash subscribe. It's seven ways to raise your prices. You can go and grab it, but I'll lead you right to one answer that works very well in a lot of situations. And that is you take your existing price and you put it in between your bronze and your silver in your bronze, silver, gold package. And when you talk to your client, you can say something like, we're updating and improving the services that we offer. And going forward, you give your clients ample time. Going forward, these will be your options. Currently, you're at this price. You're here in between bronze and silver. If you'd like, you can downgrade to bronze and reduce the value of the service that you would get. You wouldn't say that, but that's the implication. Or you can upgrade into silver. You're paying a little more, but you get this, this, and this. Or you can upgrade into gold. You might not be there yet. It's up to you. You decide. That way, you're giving them a choice and they can choose to go up and pay a little more or they can choose to go down and get a little bit less. There are six other ways you can raise your prices. A number of them don't work very well. I would recommend avoiding them. But putting your price between your bronze, silver, gold is very often a good bet. So I'll wrap up here because we covered a lot of ground. Number one, it's good for your clients when you raise your prices. Number two, look for the ways that you can create value and especially look for the ways that you can create value that don't take a lot of effort on your part. Number three, menus work. Tiered pricing works. Bronze, silver, gold for one buyer type at a time 
works. Value pricing, number four, for a single person establishing the value to a single buyer at a single time. And value pricing in that way is uncommon in the space. I've worked with plenty of CPAs and I can't think of a single time that we value priced for a project. And the last one that I finished off with is your option, your best option for price increases, especially in the fall. If you're listening in real time at this time of year, Q4 is your window for raising prices and setting your business on a much better, more profitable, easier to run path. It is absolutely doable. So if you want more great content like this, there are a number of ways that you can get more and you can find me. My podcast, once again, is the Business Strategy for CPAs podcast. You can also subscribe to my daily drip of business strategy for CPAs, which you can get at geraldinecarter.com forward slash subscribe. You can email me, gc at geraldinecarter.com. And if you want to know more about working together, there are two ways of working with me. One is my CPA mastermind program. It runs three times a year. You can find out more at my website. And the other is one-on-one custom VIP coaching. So all of this is doable for you. If you want to get your firm's packages and prices on the right track, if you want to stop having a million underpaying clients and you want to get your time back, start with value and use pricing as the tool to capture it. It's been a pleasure to be with you. I hope you have an amazing day and I'll see you next time. Hi again. Would you rather spend your weekends outside playing or at your desk? In Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind, we put an end to overworking while maintaining revenue. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there.